0: It's, uh, it's really good to see all of you here. Um, thank you for being with us. And, you know, there's a lot of things that you could do on a Sunday. Um, sleep in, being one of them. And uh, the fact that you're here is um, it's cool because it demonstrates a desire to know maybe a little bit more about who God is and what he has um, for your life. And so welcome. Um, it's really good to be with you. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been talking about heaven Which is, which is, uh, interesting because, um, the culture at large, you know, either doesn't believe in heaven or just kind of thinks it's like some glowing light in the sky. And what's weird is Christians, people who, you know, ostensibly believe in heaven, don't know much more about it. And we've, we've been spending time going through the scriptures and, and seeing, uh, that the scriptures actually do have a very interesting portrait of heaven. And it's not like, you know, rainbows and clouds and harps and beards. It's not that at all. In fact, it's, um, it's, when we're down to earth, we saw that, um, heaven's like a real place, a physical place with bodies and people. I mean, it's different. We we saw um, on Easter that Jesus' resurrection body is different. It's, it's it's special, and we say glorified in the Christian tradition. But it's it's recognizable as human. And and heaven itself is not just like uh, some pie in the sky. It's really a place, a city with like you know we we say a kingdom. And like any kingdom, and this is maybe the most surprising thing, the New Testament consistently says that heaven. There are some people who I mean, to put it bluntly, do better in heaven than others. Uh, that there are, it, heaven is a kingdom, every kingdom has a court, and heaven has, you know, kings and queens, and princes, and princesses, and dukes and duchesses, and earls, and whatever the wife of an earl is. And, and if you, an earless, what is it? You know, Jack knows. Okay, that's good. Somebody should. Uh, <laughs> That, that, like, it, that there are things that we do in our in our lives um, as, once you believe in Jesus, once you believe in Jesus, you go into heaven, it's a done deal. Um, but there's ways that you live that can actually affect and impact your eternal destiny for the better. Um, and last week we saw that there are those um, who are promised what's called the crown of life, they're promised the good life in heaven if they're willing to endure persecution um, here on earth. That's uh that's something that was very real to the early church. It's less real to us because we don't get persecuted so much anymore. Uh maybe a little bit and maybe um it's going to increase, but that's not our normal experience. So if uh, if if the way if the way to get to heaven and have the best experience there apparently is to get martyred, well that's that's not great. I mean for the rest of us, for normal folks, right? For uh, regular people. Um and so the question I would like us to answer uh today is that, you know you're a normal person. And uh, is is there a reward in heaven for me? Is there some something that I can look forward to, some experience of heaven, something I can do in my Christian life now that can have this this uh, this impact, so that I can be one of these people who really does inherit and really fully and deeply experience all that has, heaven has to offer. The answer is yes. Spoiler alert. Yes, there is. And uh and we're going to talk about it. So let's uh, let's jump into the text. This is 1 Corinthians 9:19 to 27. Uh the apostle Paul uh is writing. He's one of the the first missionaries of the Christian church and he's telling uh, tr- uh he's talking to a church that he founded. This is the church in Corinth. And they're uh for some reason they're displeased with him and he's explaining his sort of philosophy of of Christian life. And, and this is what he says. He says, Although I'm free from all people, I make myself a slave to all people, to recruit more of them. I act like a Jew to the Jews, so I can recruit Jews. I act like I'm under the law to those under the law. If this sounds weird to you, we will talk about what all this means. Uh, so I can recruit those who are under the law, I myself am not under the law. I act like I'm outside of the, law, of the law to those who are outside the law, so I can recruit those outside the law. Though I'm not really outside the law of God, but rather under the law of Christ. He goes on, he says, I act weak to the weak so I can recruit the weak. I have become all things to all people, so I could save some by all possible means. All the things I do are for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ, so I can be a partner with it. Don't you know that all the runners in the stadium run, but only one gets the prize? Well, run to win! Everyone who competes practices self-discipline in everything. The runners do this to get a crown of leaves that shrivel up and die. We talked last week about the metaphor for um, crowns uh, in, in heaven. That, that crown metaphor really comes from the ancient world where um, competitors in athletic games and even kings would uh, wear these laurel crowns to demonstrate that they had done amazing things. Um, and that's what the runners do in the Olympics. But we do it to receive a crown that never dies. That should be a capital C crown, the crown of the uh, Vic- victor's crown. So now this is how I run, not without a clear goal in sight. I fight like a boxer in the ring, not like somebody who's swinging all over the place. Rather, I'm landing punches on my own body and subduing it like a slave. I do this to be sure that I myself won't be disqualified after preaching to others. Now, there's a big difference between us and Paul, namely that we don't talk a whole lot about the law. We don't talk about a lot about Jews and Gentiles. Um, that's just not something in our culture that's like, that's really present to us. Um, but, but did you notice though? Did you know? Let's go, go back to the text. He, over and over, he's using this language of recruiting. Uh, in the original Greek, it's really like, I may win or reap more. Um, this translation is designed to kind of get to the heart of it. And basically, Paul is saying that his whole goal in life is to get more and more people to believe in Jesus. In fact, Paul um, was was going, you know, he was going his way, he was doing his thing, and uh, he actually persecuted hated Christians. Um, and uh, at one point in his life, he was uh, heading to Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria, and a bright light hit him and blinded him, and he heard the voice of Jesus and Jesus said to him, Saul, that was his name at the time, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and Saul realized, who are you? And it's like to me, Jesus. And you've been hurting my people. And Paul has, and Saul has this radical transformation. His name changes. His life changes. In fact, he receives from God a special mission. And he realizes that he has been called to be an apostle to go out into all the Greco-Roman world and to recruit as many people to basically plant churches wherever he goes. To find Jews who believe in Jesus, to find uh, Romans who believe in Jesus, and Syrians and Lebanese and, 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 and Greeks, and every Spaniards, everybody under the sun in the world. He wants them all to believe in Jesus and then to live together in these communities called the church. That's his goal in life. That's his mission that's what he's doing. And so when he says this, he, he's talking about a kind sort of a strategy. His strategy is designed to recruit. And that leads us to the first thing in your note sheets. Paul expects to receive the victor's crown for completing the mission God gave him. And what's interesting is I think that Paul would say the same thing to all of us. If you complete the mission that God has set before you, you too will experience something tremendous in the, in, the, in the next life. You too will be set up with the victor's crown. And we'll talk a little more about that. So this, now this is how I run, he says. Not without a cr- clear goal in sight. I fight like a boxer in the ring. Not like someone who's swinging wildly. I'm landing punches on my own body and subduing it like a slave. Ugh. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Let's not read too much more yet. Let's just think about that for a second. Uh, so, I mean, you may have heard, some of you, if you're not familiar with uh, the church, you may have heard in Christian tradition that, um, their monks would uh, participate in mortification of the flesh. Have you heard of this? Uh, this is where, like, um, in the, in the medieval period, monks would, like, walk around, they'd, like, slap themselves with whips to, like, beat themselves up so that they'd become more holy. Uh, They would starve themselves for long periods of time to uh, become more holy. There's this this strain in the Christian tradition of just, let's call it what it is, masochism. And it, it actually is generated probably because of what Paul says right there. I'm beating myself up, he says. Um, and yet, and yet, that's not what he, he's, he's kind of extending a metaphor there. He's talking about being a boxer, but he's not literally a boxer, right? He's not literally boxing. And so, um, he's talking about what a boxer must do, and that is get ready to take punches, to experience discipline so that you're able to, to deal with it. And if he's not being a masochist, then what's he doing? Well, he explains it beforehand. So look, we can move on now. Um, he, he he does this. This is what he says. He says, I make a, myself a slave to all people. I act like a Jew to the Jews. I act like I'm under the law to those under the law. I la- act like I'm outside the law to those who are outside the law. I act like I'm weak. Next slide. I act like I'm, next, is it? Yes. I act I act weak to the weak. I have become all things to all people. Okay. What does that mean? I have a visual aid to help Explain what that means. Pretty sweet, right? That I got beat up. I typed in uh, to Google Images, I got beat up, and that was the first thing that came up. Oh, that was pretty cool. Uh, in the top left there, you'll notice um, it, it's hard to see, but it looks like there's some people in a tent. It's an artist's rendering of um, the life of a tent maker or a cobbler in the ancient world. Um, Paul, if you didn't know this, uh, alongside being a missionary and apostle, Paul was a tent maker and really um, that's the word we use typically in english translations but really it just means cobbler it means somebody who deals with their hands who works with their hands he's a he's a blue collar worker and he uh he spends his days hammering nails and and fashioning sandals and shoes and boots uh tents as well probably uh garments of some kind it's backbreaking labor it's the kind of labor that ages you prematurely so he goes around the world, right? And he and he and he starts talking to people, okay? And he's like, I, "You got to believe in this Jesus." Uh, and he starts churches, and a lot of these churches actually have some pretty wealthy donors, and and they are like, "Paul, why do you spend all of your day days like bake, back, breaking your back? Um, when when I could just I could just take care of you, buddy. You know, you could get like a paycheck, like you know, a normal preacher, like Tom." Well, Paul responds, unlike Tom, uh, I want this to be free for you. In the ancient world, it was very common for, uh, people like philosophers and theologians because what do you do with philosophy and theology? Nothing. All you can do is talk. And so they would, uh, they would go around, uh, the world and they would talk to people and, uh, rich patrons, um, they were basically like entertainers, like stand-up comics. And they would be brought into, uh, rich people's houses and everyone in the city would hear that the, that this new, you know, speaker, this philosopher, theologian, whatever, with news from the empire and all the new ideas was there at so-and-so's house, at Lu- Lucius's house. And so you'd go to Lucius's house for a big dinner. And, the, and the, this person would sit there and they would entertain everybody with new ideas and new possibilities and all of this and and, and lucius would would be you know wow, wow. lucius you 've really found a great guy." He's awesome, he's so entertaining, he's so in, in, engaging in his, in his speech. And Lucius, in return for this service that this person uh, gave him, would put him up in, in, in his house, he'd, he'd pay him, give him food, drink, um, even sometimes for years uh, a, a philosopher or theologian would live with rich folk um, and, and entertain people in the city. Which sounds like a pretty good life, if you've got the gift of Gab. Well, Paul comes to the church in Corinth and all the churches. And he goes out and he sweats all day hammering. Beating the leather. Tempering it. And for what? There's people in the church being like, Paul, come on, just relax, dude. We're going to have a party tonight. We want you to be at the middle of the table. We want you to tell everybody all the stuff about Jesus, whatever it is. It sounds great. You can come live with us, man. That sounds great, right? And Paul says no. Because like you, he knows to be suspicious of anyone who's getting paid to tell you the truth about anything. Because you can imagine that for most of the people in the ancient world, especially philosophers and theologians, they kind of were encouraged to just say things that would make people feel good and entertain them and make them feel like they're great, right? And, and sometimes the truth would just get tossed to the side because dude needed a paycheck. Paul says, I am going to make sure that nobody can accuse me of just doing it for the money. In fact, earlier on in this passage, he says, I'm going to make sure that my gospel is free of charge. Why? Because he's willing to do anything to complete the mission that God gave him. No, no, keep, wait, we haven't, that's only one picture. I got beat up. Paul says, I, I beat myself up. You know why he says that? Because Paul gets beat up a lot. You notice he said, um, I'm a Jew to the Jews, and I'm not a Jew to the not Jews. Well, uh, when, when he would go around, he would say things like, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God. And the Jewish people would be like, mm, nope. And so they would beat him up. They would throw him in jail. They would beat him up. Uh, if you're a Jew, that's a very blasphemous thing to say. And so they would hurt him quite a bit. And uh, the same thing, he would say, Jesus is Lord, and to Roman people, uh, that was blasphemous because Caesar was Lord, Caesar was God, and so he would proclaim that Jesus is higher than Caesar, and if, if you're a Greco-Roman person, that was blasphemy, so they would beat him up and throw him in prison. That doesn't seem like a great strategy, right? Except, we know from the New Testament that time and time again, the people who beat him up and who jailed him came to faith. Why? Because they're like, wait, this dude's willing to get beat up? And we're not, not talking about like schoolyard beat up. I mean, back in the ancient world, they, when they beat somebody up, they really beat him up. He's willing to go through that? He must really believe what he's talking about. Top right, we have uh, pork. Pork ribs. Fresh from the smoker. It's been, uh, been a few months since we used the smoker. I'm working up to it though. It's springtime, you know, we gotta, we gotta get something going there. Paul was a Jewish man, growing up. And as a result, uh, if you know anything about Orthodox Jews, they, uh, they don't eat pork. It's one of, part of the law. Remember that capital L law that was being talked about? It's the law of Moses, the teaching of Moses. And one of the things that's in the law, there's many things, but among other things, it's you can't eat any food that's unclean. And probably the most popular unclean food is pork, because pork is awesome. And so it seems like God's a little bit of a sadist. He's like, you're my chosen people, but you can't have pork. That's unfortunate. That was the way it was. At a certain point, Paul realized that the law no longer applied, that he was now under the law of Christ, under the law of grace, that God was saying, you don't have to follow all these rules to be with me anymore. You don't have to follow these rules to be close to me anymore. All you have to do is believe and you can eat whatever you like. And so Paul would go to these places in the empire where there's people who are not Jews, and they would be, oh, this guy is awesome, and they would bring him in, and they would they would treat him to dinner, and he would sit down, and there's a big fat slice of pig, right in front of him. That sounds awesome to us. I can tell you, it probably wasn't for him. When I was uh, living in Japan, I made a promise before I left. I lived in Japan for a couple years after college, and my promise was I will never refuse any food that is put before me, because I was disrespectful to their culture. That was a terrible, terrible choice. <laughs> and I lived to regret it many times. <laughs> Did you know that it's a delicacy, at least in the prefecture, prefecture where I live, Gunma, uh, to, to thinly slice raw horse meat and eat that? Yeah, that's cool. And what's great about it is not like here where, you know, you cool it down first. It's like lukewarm, like room temperature. <laughs> and they're like, here you go. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> I learned, I learned. So I had a friend named machia san and uh, he found out about my promise. And so he was a great joke of his where once a week we would go to um, this local little pub type place, and he, had, he knew the owner, and they would come up with a hygiene challenge the, the barbarian challenge, uh, to see how civilized the barbarian could be in a place like Japan. And one of the things they did was raw horse. And so I learned when I was there at, at, at Taki to make sure that I always had a very large uh, glass of liquid. Because what happens when you're confronted with something that's horrible is it gets stuck in your throat and you begin to want to throw up. And so the only way to deal with that is One time they brought a raw sea urchin up from Okinawa. I mean, literally, in the shell, in a snail shell. <laughs> I had to, like, pull it out. It was, like, stretching. <laughs> and they're laughing. They're like, oh, this is great. This time he's going to throw up. No way, man. My pride was on the line. I sucked that thing down. Felt good. I'm sorry, it's so, for what Paul, like, it's no different. When Paul's, the big slab of pork comes out, and he's like... <laughs> Threw up a little in my mouth. I'm good, um, but but he doesn't want to offend anybody, and he wants to make sure that um, that they, this is not a bar to them believing in Jesus. So he's like, "Let's dive in, okay." And likewise, when he's hanging out with Jewish people, he, you know, he oh pork, yeah, terrible stuff, can't stand it. No, absolutely not. Never touch it. He he sort of conforms to the places that he's in in order to what. Achieve the mission. Notice those are some wedding bands. Paul, I mean, incredibly, even gave up. I mean, he says many times, well, I could have been married, but he knows that the life he's chosen, he gets beat up. He's working from, you know, dusk till dawn, no, from dawn till dusk. Uh, he's breaking his back. He's throwing up in his mouth constantly. Uh, he's, he's, this is not the life that is appropriate for, you know, having a wife and kids. And so he even gives that up. He even gives up the opportunity to have a family. Why? So he can complete the mission. Now let's look at this. Paul gave up many comforts because his mission demanded it. I mean, that's like, that's putting it a little bit softly. Comforts. No, he actually wrapped his entire life around this, this calling that God had given him. God said, you are going to go and you're going to make churches. And Paul said, okay, I'm going to do that and I'm going to change everything about my life. I'm going to wrap everything up. I'm going to give up so much I'm going to be willing to get hit. I'm going to be willing to throw up. I'm going to be willing to do all of this. I'm going to work. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that whomever I'm with believes as I believe. I am giving everything up so that the mission will not fail. go back. Um, why? This might be a little bit uncomfortable for some, but you know, ostensibly, like if God tells you to do something, you probably should do it, right? That's sort of how we operate. Well, if God says it, I do it, you know. I don't mind confessing to you that just because I think God's told me to do something, I sometimes am like, eh. Or, okay, all right, I would never be like, no, God. But I might just kind of like shift down into neutral a little bit. You know, phone it in. Be like, oh, yeah, God, I'm uh, yeah, pastoring the heck out of that church. Sure, sure. Um, but right after I finish this next round of Far Cry. I mean, hold, hold on there, chief. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm absolutely, uh, you know, all in for that. But I also am kind of focused on all these other things. And so I'm going to get to that, and I will take care of it, uh, but I, you know, maybe not as well as I probably could. You can obey, you know, God without like going all the way. Now, some of you will say, "Well, that's disobedience." I don't know, maybe. I mean, but but whatever it is, whatever it is, this is what Paul's going through. Paul's head, right? Paul's like, "Yeah, I could do that. I could phone it in. I could um, just go down to a lower gear." take her easy, uh, put the top down, enjoy the California sun. But, but, don't you know that all the runners in the stadium run, but only one gets the prize? So run to win. Everyone who competes practices self-discipline in everything. What's going through Paul's mind is not, well, God said it, so I got to do it. There is that. Paul is obedient, he loves God, he wants to do what God wants. But there's also something going on in his mind, and that is, if I want this prize, if I believe that this thing is out there, I'd better go all out to get it. In his mind, he's thinking about this victor's crown. This crown that says, mission accomplished. You did it. I gave this to you. I tasked you with this. You had one life to live. I asked you to do this, and you went for it all the way, and you are eternally changed. Your entire eternity is altered because of your willingness to go all in for it. Run to win. Practices self-discipline and everything. We know what that looks like. I have a couple pictures of practicing self-discipline. I've imagined that someday Aaron might teach me how to box. She's done things like uh, kickboxing, like boxing yoga. I think that's probably a thing at this point. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so if just imagine changing the guy and the girl there. This is how I imagine it would be if Aaron taught me to box. We'd go to a park I'd put on my, oh, oh, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. I like that one where she, he's like showing her how to hit, and she's like, but maybe I should just hold on for a second, third. Mean, you you, this is not probably the most effective training regimen you've ever seen. Sometimes I imagine um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get together, and I'm going to start exercising. I don't imagine this for very long, of course, but I do occasionally. Aaron's like, dude, you've got to run. What's wrong with you? And so I'm like, yeah, I should totally run, absolutely, yeah. And I just imagine this is what running looks like. Woohoo! that's what it is for my kids, right? This is what running. Is. No, 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 no. What does Paul say? Next slide. He says, I fight like a boxer in the ring, not someone who's swinging wildly. He's not like do-do-do-do-do. no. He's like in the ring, and the thing about being in the ring is that you're liable to get beat up, and so you'd better be pretty focused. I'm landing punches on my own body and subduing it. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want to do all this stuff and then at the end of it find out I failed. No, no, no. Training looks more like this. We had this guy, Leith. He was uh, in the Navy or something. He's like super buff. He'd done like competitive weightlifting. No, no. Uh, bodybuilding. I don't know. Whatever it was. The thing Arnold Schwarzenegger does. And so, uh, one time he was like, he's like, you're useless and I need to fix you. And I was like, oh, thank you. Um, and so we started working out. <laughs> and, uh, I remember one leg day, which is a thing. Leg day, uh, we, he made me do three sets of, uh, squats and, um, and three sets of wall sits, which is, um, just another word for torture. And, <laughs> and after, uh, after, it was over. I was kind of, my legs were jelly. And the next day, I literally couldn't get down the stairs. Like, I literally couldn't. I'm not making this up. Like, it was super sad. I was in my, I was in my bathrobe, and I was like, I rolled down the stairs. <laughs> and I told Leith about it, and he was like, well, that's what comes from being a weak, useless human being like you. I'm like, oh, thanks, buddy. No, 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 but the thing is, though, the thing is, though, if you really want to win, though, if you really want to win, then you've got to have those days where you can't get up and down the stairs. You can't see it here, but your marathon plan, uh, Aaron does marathons from time to time. And uh, that's my wife, Aaron. Uh, she, if you look on the far right, it's, it's like the total. It's the total miles for week 1 through 16. And the very first week when you're taking it easy, you get a total of 25 miles of running. That's if you want to be able to complete a marathon or you want to train for 16 weeks. It tops out at, I think there's a 47 miles. Oh no, 51 miles. 51 miles in a week. And that's not before race day. That's two weeks before race day. I've seen it is When she does it, it's just like, it's rough. feels a lot like getting smacked in the face like that guy. The point Paul's making is like, if you're really in it, okay, if you're in it to win it, if you're after the mission and you're gonna go all in and you really believe this crown is out there, you gotta be willing to do anything. You gotta be willing to shape your life in any possible way. And it, there's gonna, it's gonna be tough. There there are going to be things about this you don't like at all. But if you really want it, if you really want it, if you want that victor's crown, then, then you gotta go for it. Now, uh, in the ancient world, a victor's crown, the kind of crown that Paul's thinking about, is probably, uh, sort of like, um, it's sort of like celebrity for us. If you were, uh, if you competed in the ancient Olympic Games or the Isthmian Games, the Isthmian Games were actually took place near Corinth, um, where where Paul's talking about. So they were very familiar with this imagery. And if you won the Isthmian Games, if you um, if you ran really fast or whatever, uh, you and you got the laurel crown. There's this ceremony. You'd walk into the city with this crown on, and everyone from the city would come out and cheer for you, kind of like a like a victorious army coming home after after a battle. And and you would instantly become overnight, you would become a celebrity, like this rock star athlete, this, this rock star rock star. Everyone knew who you were. You became famous, basically. Everyone wanted to hang out with you because you had done something so incredible, so wonderful. And what Paul's saying in the victor's crown is really the same deal. If God hands you a mission and you complete it in heaven, you are basically like a rock star in heaven. Whatever the heavenly equivalent of rock star is, that's your life for eternity. That sounds pretty good. And so even when it gets hard, like a true champion, a true competitor, even when it gets hard, you, you knuckle down and you go for it because your eyes are on the prize. It's so good to be this. It's worth it to hurt now. And so what's keeping you from winning your race? Maybe even a more important question is, what is your race? What's your mission? I have, um, I have some tips here. Tips for winning your race. And the first one is find your sport. Um, it took a while for me to find my sport. Growing up, I, um, I tried uh, baseball, flag football, volleyball, basketball, That may have been it. I finally found my sport in high school. Model United Nations. Suddenly I found where I belonged in the world, you know, advocating uh, UN resolutions for impoverished third world nations. It was was awesome. Finally it was something I was good at, right? Uh, Similarly, you know, Paul is the apostle. Paul was given a very specific mission by God. Go, plant churches, get the Jews and Gentiles together. You're going to kick this thing off. That's your mission. Okay? It's not as simple for us a lot of times to know what our mission is. It's not easy for us to know what sport, what what event, what what competition we're actually in. And for some of you, I mean, so if you're if you're here and you've never been in church and you're um you have no thoughts about Christianity at all. You may be used to thinking of life as just meaningless and pointless, um, and so you distract yourselves with uh, you distract, distract yourself with hobbies or trying to find love or whatever it is, and that this is going to somehow give meaning and purpose to your life. And this doesn't work, and you've noticed this over and over and over again. And now someone's up here telling you right now, but wait, but wait, there is a possibility God does have something for you, and now you're like, wow, wow, how do I get into that? The first step is believe, and then you have this whole life ahead of you where you get to find where you belong and what you get to do for eternity. I know people who've uh, been called by God to uh, rescue um, orphans in, in Haiti. I know people um, called by God to uh, rescue uh, broken uh, children who have been abused and neglected. In fact, uh, Robin Wood, founder of Camp Allendale, is here. Robin, raise your hands one of our longtime missionaries. That was God's mission for him and for Karen. I know people uh, whose mission has been to educate kids. Um, I know people whose uh, whose mission is to take people who have gone through terrible trauma and help them recover. I know people whose mission is to find people and let them know that Jesus loves them. I know people, there's so many missions out there. And what's cool is, if you think about all the things that God calls people to do, almost always it involves taking this messed up, broken world and being a part of God, fixing that, of erasing sin, re- helping people to recover and come out of darkness and into light. You get to be a part of the healing process of the of the universe. So not only is it eternally meaningful, it's also... The kind of thing that deep down we all want to be part of. So, what's your mission? You've got to figure it out. One way that you can, uh, finding your sport, one thing you can do is lean into your strengths. Um, this, it's cool. God saw, uh, Paul tells us, um, God through Paul tells us elsewhere in the New Testament that, that God's given people gifts. That once you believe in Jesus, God furnishes you with strengths and gifts that are specially designed to help with a mission. Building up a church. You know, providing. Some, some people, I know some people whose mission is really honestly to raise kids well. I know people whose mission is to be a great spouse. I know all kinds of missions that are out there. There's, there's no limit. But, but one, one of the, the tip-offs, if you're looking and you're trying to figure out what God has called you to, is to think about your strengths. What where What are your gifts? What has God gifted you with? Because I guarantee you, he's got a place for you to use that, for you to engage that, and that might be the thing he's called you to in this life. One that I would like to have, but didn't get, um, I know people who are really good at making money. I think it would be awesome if my gift were to like make money and provide for people. It's not, but that would be cool. And there are some of you here who, that's your gifts, honestly. Like, you're, you're, you've you been gifted by God with the ability to a- accumulate resources and help and give. There, there's no limit to what God can use in terms of gifting and possibility. But here's the deal. You lean into your strengths to find your mission, but guess what? You gotta identify your weaknesses. If you thought that the mission that God gave you was going to be like, woohoo, this is awesome. No, no, no. Remember the picture of the girl who like can't lift that, those weights anymore. Remember the guy getting punched in the face. <laughs> Remember what Paul said. Remember all the stuff he gave up. And then maybe even think about Jesus. Jesus' mission ended at the cross. That's not all of us, thank the Lord, but some of us. His mission ended with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. You see, when God calls you on a mission, it's not because, you know, he wants to make you happy, although that is a nice thing that happens. Uh, it, it, part of it is that he wants to shape you and mold you and disciple you. And so part of your mission is going to be like, it's going to hurt. It's going to be getting rid of those sharp edges, and it's going to be changing you and molding you. If you think you're on your mission and everything's like hunky-dory, la-di-da, you're probably not there yet. You probably haven't found it. Because a mission... Changes us and it requires us to conform and adapt in ways that are really uncomfortable. And what's cool about that though is that when you're in that space where you're conforming and it's hurting, you have to depend on God, not on you. I shared a few weeks ago, um, you know, and I do it from time to time, uh, that I have an anxiety disorder. Uh, and I do believe that my mission um, from God right now is to, is to, build up this church and to see um, Bible Grace and Family spread near and far in Orange County. I believe that. But it's true. I have this weakness that um, I have to live with. It's not all fun and games. It's not like, woohoo, this is the best ever. There's things about this mission that hurt. And they're hard. And I take that as a good sign. It means God's changing me. And he's, and he's pushing me around and, and, and forcing me to grow. If you got no weaknesses... You're not having any fun. Last but not least, it's a marathon, not a sprint. For, um, for your mission, your mission is something that has eternal value. And God doesn't just make eternal value out of it, like just, boop, done, finished. Uh, God builds slowly and over time. And he engages us um, where we're at. And so, you know, you might be on your mission. You might be going after things. You're like, I screwed up. I'm terrible. I'm, I'm the worst. That's okay. Don't get, don't get bogged down in that. This is a marathon, not a sprint. You made a mistake. Change up your, your pace so that you can slow down a little bit and get there to the end. That's okay. Don't be, don't be crushed by what you, I'm not good enough. I can't do these things. Take it slow. The key here is to finish and to finish well. The key is not to be perfect all the way. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but this world is really messed up. And uh, I, I, I sense, um, even just in, in my own heart, thinking about my messed upness and brokenness, and I, and I realize that... Um, a lot of it stems from me going after me, my stuff, selfishness. In fact, I would say that, uh, if, if there's a cultural, uh, suicide pill we're all taking together, it's this, this, I've got to be happy and selfishness and me, 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 me. And if I can just find love or this or that or, you know, make a million dollars, then I'll finally have it. If I can just be a YouTube, famous YouTuber, I'll finally have everything I need. Um, and there's this, this culture-wide epidemic of me, 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 me. What if, instead, there was a culture-wide epidemic of people who were like, this is what God has called me to. His plan for healing, for restoration, for grace, for forgiveness, for... What What if, instead of me, 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 it was, we are all searching... Imagining, trying to figure out what God had for us, to use our strength, to, to grind down and to shave off our weaknesses, to, to take us on this mission, this journey, this race that ends in, in, in heavenly celebrity. What if all of us were on that train instead of the me, me, me train? Imagine what this place might be like. Imagine this church, imagine uh, Orange County, imagine the world, what it might be like if instead of what we've been doing, we start doing what Paul's doing, what Jesus was doing, going where God has called us and not where we've always been. Brothers and sisters, if you know your mission, stay the course. There is a crown in heaven for you. If you don't know your mission, it's time to figure it out. If you don't even believe there are missions, come talk to me. Because I believe there are. I believe there's a God who loves and has a plan and a purpose. And that in his will, in his desires, you will find what you've been looking for. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, um, I pray, God, we're excited, excited to see what you have for us, to set in our hearts um, a desire to see your kingdom, to see your will done, to see your healing, your grace, your forgiveness, to see hearts changed, repentance, confession to see those who have been broken down, built back up. God, I pray that we would be encouraged and excited to be a part of that. Lord, for any here who um, don't know why, why they're here, don't know uh, what they're doing with life, I pray, God, that you will open your, their eyes to, to the truth of Jesus Christ and to um, the hope that we have in your mission for our lives. For any who are tired and weary because the mission just doesn't seem like it's working out, God, I pray an extra measure of encouragement and strength to continue on to battle, to endure, to keep persevering, knowing that there is fruit at the end of the, of the journey. For all of us, Lord, I just pray that we will be excited about your kingdom and the possibility of being kings and queens and prince and princesses in your heavenly kingdom. All this we lay before you in Jesus' name, amen.